But uh, today, we're going to be in the first book of Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 15. I'm going to read some of it. And the rest, I'm going to explain it, you know, to move it on a little further. Uh, chapter 15, First Samuel. And we're going to read something that's pretty interesting today. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to explain a little bit of background of what we're reading today on. So just let me know when you're there. Chapter 15, you're there? Sweet. It says uh, in the verse 1, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now, go and attack Amalek. Allah destroy all that he has, have, and do not spare them. But kill them, man and women, infants, nursing, children and ox, sheep and camel and donkey. Verse 4. So, so Saul gathered his people together and numbered them in Telmon, 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid in wait in the valley. Now, I'm going to give you a little background on the book of Samuel because I like to like lay a foundation most of the time when you're reading a book. It's always good to know why the book was written, who wrote it, and you know, I find that's pretty interesting and it helps you get an understanding about the book. Now the book of Samuel as we have it today, we have 1 Samuel and we have 2 Samuel. If you read the book, if you read your Bible, it's split into two books. But really in the Torah or in the Jewish book, it's actually 1 Samuel. It's all together. It's one big book. So in your modern Bible translations, it's divided into two. I think the, re the reason why they did that, because you can lose your breath. You could be reading a lot. So they kind of did that. So when you read it, you can take a little breather, you know. So, but it's actually one big book. We say one or first, uh, one, first Samuel, and we say second Samuel. But in the book, in the Jewish books, it's actually one, and ours is as two. So that's pretty interesting. Now, who wrote the book of Samuel? There's a lot of debate who wrote the book of Samuel. Some people believe that Samuel wrote half of it. Of course, he died later on in the middle of the book of Samuel, so there's no way he could have finished the whole book because he died. I mean, that's obvious. No one can finish something if they're dead. So most people believe that uh, the prophet Nathan, he was one of uh, the prophets that was with David. He was the counselor or the prophet with David. And they believe maybe he finished off the book, or it was just a scholar, somebody who was in David's court that finished it. There's a lot of who maybe wrote the book of Samuel. It's kind of like the book of Psalms. Psalms is a big book. David mostly wrote a good bit of it, but there was other authors. There was other people who contributed to the book of Psalms. So it, some people think in some parts of the Bible, you know, one author wrote a particular book all by himself. Some, you know, different people put in together with the book. There was a major author, but there was other little authors who put their input into the book. So it could happen that way as well. But you see, in the book of Samuel, if you begin the book of Samuel, it actually begins in some ways with the book of Judges. You know, during the time of the Judges, it was known, I call it the Dark Ages, you know, of Israel. It was a time when Israel was going back and forth. They were worshiping false gods. Israel just kept going. It's like a roller coaster. They were doing great. Then they went down. They were good. So they kept 
messing up. Israel kept playing around with idolatry. God had to send enemies, you know, to, you know, to set them up straight, I guess you can say. And so now we get to the point where the book of Samuel is coming around and the, the judges are about to end. We come to that period where Samuel, some say uh, Samson was really the last judge, but I believe Samuel was the last judge. He wasn't the last prophet, but I think he was the last judge who did the political side of the stuff. So anyway, it's getting to that end where we're about to get into the monarchs. We're about to get into the kingdomship of Israel. And so judges is coming to an end, but Israel still got a lot of problems and stuff. So what happened was the story goes, if you read the first book of Samuel, it begins really with a woman. There's a woman called a root, uh, uh, Hannah. She was praying and asking God for a son. Because back then, it's not having children back then was, ra- was rashly an insult if you didn't have children back then. I remember talking to the older folks back then. They would have a lot of families. You know, Sometimes you might have 12 children back then. Hey, the more kids you had, the more can help you on the farm, you know. They were, they were your children, but you would, they were your farm hands, you know. So back then, the more kids you had, the better it was. You know, it was an insult because at, it's not like today. Today, it's almost like an insult to have children now. You know, you're going to overpopulate the earth now and all that nonsense. There's not enough food. We're all going to starve. You have too much children. All that nonsense. Back then, they didn't care about that. They were like, hey, the more children you had, the better. You know, the world's a big place. You know, there's a lot of space, so have as much children as you can. So back then, their thinking of children, the way their society thinking was, was different than it is now. So it's kind of hard for us to understand, you know, when we read these things, it's kind of hard for us to understand, as mostly today, because our thinking process is different than their thinking process. So it was a shame back then when a woman couldn't have a child. She felt like she wasn't contributing to society. You know, she just felt, you know, she felt like she was a nobody because she didn't have a children. So God heard her prayers, and God gave her Samuel. And to make the long story short, Samuel worked in the tabernacle and everything until finally God had to put judgment on Eli and his two sons. They're dead. And so this leaves the vacuum for the priesthood, and he actually comes the head of Israel. He comes the priest, or he was a tribe of Levi, most people believe. He actually comes their priest, their prophet, and he also comes their judge. So he's filling in the role of taking over for Eli at this point. So story goes, you know, he's, he's going all over Israel. He's preaching, you know, he's, he's a circuit preacher, we would call that. He's on horseback. He's going to town to town in Israel, you know, doing his priestly duties and his prophet duties and even political duties. You know, he was solving political cases because he was a judge and that's what judges do they solve political stuff they solve cases so he would go and solve cases all over israel as well well the story goes he's getting older he's getting an age and his sons are not quite the upstanding people they should be they're taking bribes you know because they're dealing with political stuff they're dealing with cases and they're uh, like a lot of people do today they got bribed they're they, 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 they were one-sided. They would take cases where it suited them. You know, kind of like a lot of politicians and people do today. They, they, they choose the things they want that's going to profit them the money. So people bribed them for a case. They took the bribe. Instead of doing, instead of saying, hey, we're going to do what the Bible says or the Torah says, you know, we're going to go against the Torah. 
kind of like a lot of people do today. They go against the Bible and the Constitution or our laws to benefit themselves, and that's what they did. They, they didn't follow the law. They benefited their own pockets. They benefited themselves. So the people kind of saw that. They were showing favoritism and taking bribes. So Israel's like, hey, we want a king like everybody else. And it was wrong, but in the same time, they had a right reason why they wanted a king as well. Because at the time, the Philistines were putting pressure on them. You know, the, the Philistines were off the Gulf of Israel, and they had land expectancy, or they had land ambitions, we would call that. They wanted to conquer more on the, uh, the coast of Israel. They wanted to conquer more land so they can, have more tr they can control the trade routes of Israel. So that was the, at that time, during the time of before King Saul came into being, to the time David, that's what Israel was fighting with the Philistines for. They were dominating over land, mostly on the, uh, the coast. You know, because the Philistines took over the trade routes, they can control Canaan. That's how simple it was. So that's what's going on right here. Israel's being pressured by the Philistines. You know, the Philistines are, um, they're not as big as population as Israel, but they have more weapon technology than Israel had. They had a bigger advantage than Israel and the other kingdoms in the region. They had bra uh, brass and they had armed weapons and they had chariots. So it's kind of like a, Kind of like uh, if we were the only country, with the, we only had the, um, like uh, atomic bomb. If we were the only one with the atomic bomb, that would give us a great monopoly on other countries in the world. We'd be the superpower in the world because we only are the ones that have the only weapon, if that makes sense. So the Philistines, they had that special weapon. They were dominating the region because of the weapons that they had. So you can tell Israel at the time also was dealing with a lot of political pressures from the Philistines. And so they're like, hey, we need a king that, that's going to help us fight against our enemies. Most of the Philistines, they were the ones that really gave Israel the hard time, you know, in that region. So they're like, hey, we need a man who's going to fight against the Philistines, who's going to, you know, you know, take some of the pressure off of us. So, of course, Samuel wasn't too happy because, you know, in Samuel's mind and even in God's mind, God wanted to be Israel's king. God wanted to be the monarch of Israel, but because they wanted a king like everybody else, and even if it was not, I don't think God's timing, and I don't think it was right for them to ask a king in a way, because the way they did about it was a fleshly way that they did about it. You know, they want to be like everybody else, and a lot of times when you're like everybody else, you know, that don't go too well. Monkey see, monkey do, you know, and that's not too good when that happens. So anyway, they, uh, they want a king. And Samuel's not too happy. He's like, he's not too happy of Israel's choice. But sometimes, you know, God, God is, uh, what's the word I want to say? God gives everybody a free will. So there's sometimes that you ask God for something. It's not good all the time. You know, but God gives it to you because that's what you want. You see, God is not communist. God is not a socialist or a communist. You know, he's like, hey, you do, I mean, he does say you got to follow his rules and stuff, but at the same time, he gives you a choice. You know, you're going to, you know, even if it's going to hurt you, he's going to give you what you want, even if it's going to hurt you in the process later on. I'll come back to bite you later on. So God said, okay, I'll give the people what they want. That's their choice. They're going to have to pay for it. And through Samuel, God told the people through Samuel saying, hey, he's going to take your, your, your best men. He's going to take your, your, your vineyards. He's going to take, he's going to do, he's going he's to tax He's going to tax y'all. He's going to do everything that a pilot, regular politician do in these other kingdoms. He's going to take the best of your, your people, 
the best of everything. And he's going he's to bring it to his palace. He's going to serve his, 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 uh, his kingdom, you know, his palace, his family, you know, his people that he's around with, the people who associate with him, his generals. And he's going to give everything to them and to himself like other kings do, like other kingdoms did. And so he's like letting you warn you that if this king's not right, he's going to bring you a headache one way or another, or he's going to bring trouble. So that's what we add in this book right here in the book of Samuel is when God, King Saul, he's winning a couple of battles. You know, he's, uh, he's doing pretty good. But he was a humble individual at the beginning. I don't know. I don't think he was really a spiritual person that much, to be honest, the way it sounds like he was not really a spiritual person. You know, he's he's a type where, yeah, he heard the Bible. He maybe went to church, but he was not really his heart was not really into the things of God, if that makes sense. But he was a humble person. He was a person. He was he was a person where at the beginning, if you read in the book of Samuel, he was a humble person. I mean, matter of fact, uh, they had to find him when they were about to claim him as king. He was hiding between some, uh, you know, some animals, or he was hiding behind some uh, bushes or something like that, or, or a carriage. You know, he was hiding. In other words, he was hiding. So they had to take him out, you know. So he was a humble person. Like when Samuel first met him, he's like, God's chosen me. You know, I am the least of all the tribes of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. We are like the smallest tribe in Israel. And my family is the least of all the Benjamin tribes. So you can tell he was humbled from the beginning. He was a humble individual. He, 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 the power did not get to his head at the time. Or he was just a person you could talk to. You know, his head was not up in the clouds. He was like a common person. Someone you can talk to, someone you can like, you can communicate with, you know. But as time goes on, as he wins battles, and and uh, even if he didn't win battles, he still took the credit for himself. There's a couple of cases where he didn't do anything, and he still took the credit for himself. Sound like some people, huh? Yep. And then slowly, as time goes on, you know, pride got to his head. You know, I was watching a documentary one time. Uh, what was it about Mussolini? One of those dictators, and one of the guys said that. He said, absolute power corrupts the human mind. Other words, and you see that even today, you know, you see that in politics or even today, or you've seen that in the past where some individuals, they were like, they were low people. They were like humble. They were poor. They were like this average people like you and me. And the next thing you know, under certain circumstances, they got power. It got to their heads. And, you know, have you ever met people like that? In your family or, or you, like at work, for example, you ever met supervisors or certain groups of people like they, hey, we're putting you over a crew. And you notice how just a little bit of power they got, just a little bit of bossing people around and like it gets to their heads. I'm thinking to myself, man, thank God that they didn't make you a big foreman or big boss. I mean, your head's already swollen, just a little bit of power you got. And I don't know if y'all live in the same world as I do. I don't know if I'm from another planet or y'all didn't, I mean... Most of y'all worked in the workforce one way or another, and y'all know what I'm talking about. So you look at people, just a little bit of power they got, their heads swell. I mean, you thought they were president of the United States. I mean, you know what I'm saying? So King Saul was like that. He, he, he was doing all right, then the power got to his head. As a matter of fact, if you read later on in, in this, this verse or chapters, he actually builds a monument to himself. He's about to defeat, we're about to talk more about the Amalekites, how he builds a, you know, a statue to himself, you know, you know, a great monument to himself. And I'm, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get back to that more in a moment. But anyway, so his head swollen, but 
we're going to talk more about another issue right here. Now, who are the, the Amalekites? Now, if you read the Bible, the uh, Amalekites are actually descendants of King Saul. You, you, not King Saul, uh, uh, Esau. I'm sorry, they're close. Esau. You remember the story of Jacob and Esau in the Bible where Esau or Jacob took um, the birthright, so say, from, uh, from Esau? Well, they were actually related to them. It's actually believed that they were actually, uh, that was his, his uh, grandson. The Amalekites actually came from his grandson or something like that. From, but they came from king, they came from, uh, from him. And they were descendants from them. And they were called Amalekites. Now, the reason why God was kind of angry at, the Mel- at them mostly, because when Israel was coming out of Egypt, they were taking a, a, they were taking a, 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 a trade route. And they were going, and, and these enemies, they attacked Israel. And they took advantage of the poor people. They took advantage of the weak. And pretty much they were, t- they were picking them off one by one. The weakest people they found, they attacked. Now, these people, they were nomads. They, uh, they didn't have a real settled home. They would move all over. You know, they were kind of like modern-day people who live in uh, trailers. Uh, what was those things, those trailer homes, you know, when they t- hook it up? And, they, yeah, campers, they drive. You know, some people, they go all over the country. They don't have a set. You know, these are not settled people. They go all over. They go to different states. And, you know, they don't have, they're not like the rest of us. They're not settled home down people. They go all over. So that's what a nomad is. A nomad is, he, he's a kind of modern-day yeah, yeah, he, they wandered. They go place to place, and they didn't have a settled spot. They would just go all over, and they would travel. They would see the country or the world, I guess, or the region. So they did not have a settled home. They did not have a settled place. So these people are constantly going around, and they, they have whatever flocks that was good for their cattle, they will move, or they will go wherever benefited them, and they trade with other, with other people and stuff. So they, these were nomads. They, 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 they moved around everywhere. But they attacked Israel, and God was really angry at them because what he was angry about, not that they just attacked Israel, is that they took advantage of Israel's situation. And God hates that when other human beings or fellow human beings take advantage of people's situations. You know, God hates that with, with a passion because Israel, when they came out, they were slaves. They didn't know, they didn't know how to fight. They, I mean, that was a big problem right there. They never fought a battle in their life. All they did was they were in the mud pits. If you watch the Ten Commandments or, or any Moses movie, they were half of the time building bricks or making bricks or building things. You know, they didn't know how to fight. They had no military skill. Egypt protected them. You know, all they knew was their taskmasters. So when, when, when they had battle, the Egyptians or the Pharaoh would fight for them. So they didn't know how to fight at the beginning of the time. And so the Malachites, they took advantage of that situation. Like, oh, wow, we can easily rob from these people. We can easily kill. And, you know, these people are easy pickings because, number one, they don't know how to fight. And, and we could still, I mean, this is, this is the best robbing deal we ever had in our lives. So these people, and they took advantage of that. And like I said, God hates that when people take advantage of a crisis or when people take other people's sufferings and they use it to benefit themselves. God hates that. Mostly, you know, mostly you see that mostly in politics on both sides of the aisle, people using crisis for their own advantage. And God hates that. 
when people take people's poorness here or people who are down and trotting and they use their advantage to like, well, I can use this for a political tool or I can use this for power and control. And God hates that. So that's what God hated about the Melekites. They took advantage of a, of a poor situation to their advantage. And God hated that. So God told Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, he said, write in a book that in the future they will have to be destroyed because these people have attacked Israel and they took advantage of a poor situation for their, for their, for their benefit and stuff. So God, so remember that when we, God don't want us to take advantage of people's situation. You know, God wants us to help people and, and, and try our best to help them or in and, and any situation they're in. Don't take advantage of, of, wow, this is something I can use. They're a crisis. That's a famous thing politicians like to use. They say, we love to use crisis. You know, they say, we can't miss a crisis. You know, we love crisis. You know, like when a tornado comes to an area, oh, they love that. This is a, this is a great crisis so we can use for global warming, so we can tax more people. And, you know, they got, they got that spirit. You know, I'm not trying to pick on anybody or any politician. I'm just saying the spirit that's behind it, how, like, these Melekites, they took advantage of people's situation. And God, God hates that with a passion. So that's one of the reasons why God wanted them destroyed because they took advantage of people's bad situation and stuff like that. So God's given this order to him to fulfill that order. Of course, King Saul don't do it. And another thing, too, that we have to realize, King Saul, if you read the passage, King Saul did not destroy these people. If you read, we're going to go through it later on, or if you read through the book later on, he did not do his job. God says, I want you to go out there. I want you to destroy everything. And he did not do his job. And because he did not do his job, he actually hurt other people in the process, you know, because he did not do his job. Um, the thing I want to say before I get to that part is that, that, you know, when God gives us an order and when God tells us to do something, you know, he wants you to do it a full job. He wants you to give your whole heart into it. And he wants you to do everything, 100%. You know, God don't want you to give. And that, as we're going to see later on, King Saul does that. He only gives a certain percentage. He only gives a certain amount. He don't really go full out, 100%, doing what God told him to do. He holds some things back. And when God in our lives, God don't want us just to do 90% or 80% of something. He wants you to do everything. He, you know, he gives you an order or when he tells you to do something, you know, he expects you to give it your whole heart and he expects you to obey him and do it. And so King Saul did not do that. And another thing too I want to say, because you will meet up with people, like mostly atheists or people or liberals or people who hate the Bible, they'll use this passage. Just as, they don't know the whole Bible now. They're kind of like some people. You know, they only know a few little scriptures in the Bible. They don't know there's a few little, they don't read the whole Bible and they never read the whole thing, but they know a few little things here and there. You know, like the famous one is like, uh, Jesus turned water into wine or do not judge. That's the only scripture. They, that's the only one they know out of the whole Bible. So this is where one of those cases in the Bible where the liberals will pick out and they use against the Christians. They'll say, how can God be a God of love when he told King Saul and Samuel to go out there and butcher all these people, you know? How cruel and how merciless God is. How can y'all serve a God and go to church and honor a God that tells, you know, go slaughter everybody and, you know, and then you got to turn the tables on them because most of the time the people who's going to mention this, you gotta say, okay, time's out. Do you believe in abortion? Yes, I believe in abortion on demand. I believe a woman has a right to choose. 
Uh-huh, I see. So it's wrong for God to do what he did, but it's okay for somebody else to go murder their kids. Mm, fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing how people do that, you know. Like, so it's okay for God to, you know, for, it's wrong for God to do that, but the way we're doing it is okay. No, at least those people had a chance to defend themselves. At least these Malachites can take weapons and defend themselves. So that's wrong when, and then they'll use things like that. And then you got to turn it on them, okay? And like Islam, oh, like Islam, oh, they love Islam. But I'm like, you know, did Islam have a bunch of chapters saying kill Christians and kill Jews? Like almost 90% of the whole Quran Bible is made of a killing Jews. Your own prophet Muhammad said to kill Jews. Yeah, kill infidels. I mean, there's, they take this one little verse and they act like the whole Bible is like that. Or there's, God is a murdering God, or the Christians and the Jews are murderers. But then you're like, what about Islam? Of course, oh, they love Islam. They think Islam, oh, they think Islam is greatest. But Islam has way more verses like this and way more about killing people and stuff than the Bible does. The Bible is way more merciful than, than the Quran is. But liberals are going to take little something like this, and they're going to try to make you doubt your faith. And that's what they're doing. They're trying to make you doubt your faith. And try to, you know, use this passage, you know, but you got to turn tables on them because, I mean, you're supporting things that are way more violent than this. So the reason why I'm saying that because you will meet up with people, you know, a lot of people, they're just, they're, they've, been, they've been influenced by atheism or people like that. And they will use scriptures like that, like Sodom and Gomorrah, how God can burn up and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah like he did. You know, I thought God was a loving God. They use things like that and they're not realizing God did this because... To help us out. Because, you know, if these Malachites, if you look through the records, if you look through history, you know, even people who were not Jewish reported that, hey, these people were brutal. These people would sacrifice, you know, children to their, God, to their pagan gods. Uh, another form of abortion, by the way. But uh, they would throw their, you know, their children into the fire, the Moloch, these false gods. And, and so God was doing this to help us out. Did you know they had a guy who studied... Sodom Gomorrah, and he said, he said that, he said, you know, he said, I don't believe in God or whatever, but whoever destroyed this place, they knew what they were doing. They said they saved humanity a great deal. And so, you know, so God, sometimes God does things for a reason, you know, and to help us out, you know, but as the story goes, he's going out there. He says, okay, I'm going out there. I'm going to destroy everything. But then Samuel comes back, as Samuel was going to meet him, he builds a monument to himself, you know. He, he had to show, you know, I don't got muscles, I have to kind of make it go up. But, you know, he was, you know, showing his, you know, he beat the enemy, you know. He was like, you know, I'm strong, you know, I'm, I'm it. You know, you ever meet people like that? You know, they, they thought the whole world revolved around them. They thought they were it, they were perfect. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all met them, y'all met them at work and people like that, are, you know. So that's what he's doing. He's, he's pumping up himself, not realizing it's God that gave him the victory. You know, kind of like a lot of people do, you know, God does something for him and they take all the credit. Or people do, do something and they take all the credit. You know, I was watching one time, uh, they were saying they were building a highway or road somewhere in California or somewhere. And they put the politician's name on it. I mean, just his name. I'm thinking to myself, did they have other people who build that bridge? Did they have other people at least put a plaque of something of who built it or, or you know, but it was just pride. 
The politician put his name out there like, hey, I'm it. You know, I let everybody know that I built this bridge, you know. So that's the same thing King Saul is doing. He's being political. He's being prideful. Pride is getting to his head, and he's letting everybody know, I did this. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking good. If you look at dictatorships throughout history, if you notice that, like communism, you look at communist countries, it's the leader that gets the glory for everything. He don't do anything, or even he does, it's all glory to the leader. You notice that? If you look in China's history, all the presidents, they all, the leader, the, the government is glorified. The leader gets all the credit. Even he didn't do nothing or anything because of the pride of nature of human beings. You know, they soak that in. They get that pride and they, they get that greed for money and power. It actually takes over them. And they do crazy things. If you read through history, you look at the Roman, some of the Roman emperors and you look at a lot of people, even in modern times, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, all these guys, they, they, went, they went crazy. I mean, they did some, they did some crazy stuff. I mean, because power and money got to their heads, you know, and, and they, they went, they did some crazy things. They did some stuff, you're like, you're scratching your head, like, even normal people, but like, what's wrong with these people? Because it, it takes over them, it controls them. It's kind of like, an, uh, you know, a squid that wraps his arm around, you know, and a squid or a snake's about to kill you, you know, he's grabbing around you, and he's about to choke you. That's what power does. That's what money, influence, and power does. It grabs you, and, it, and you know, it takes over you, and that's what happened with King Saul and happened through all these men in history, power takes over them. And they, they, they get to their heads and, and they, 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 they lose where they came from. You know, sometimes you have to remind people where they came from. And that's what Samuel's about to do. Samuel goes there and he's like, you know, King Saul has it all religiously figured out, you know. You know, he didn't obey God. He only had, he did like halfway in the road. When he comes to Samuel, if you read later on, he says, greetings, God bless you. You know, he's using all the, the Christian, <laughs> he's using all the Christian terminology, I guess you can say. He's using all the Christian lingo. You know, he's acting Christian. You know, he, he says the words, you know, he's, he knows how to hit the right spot. You know, he's like, he's acting Christian, like he did everything he was supposed to do. And through God revealing to Samuel, he's like, but what's the sheep I'm hearing? You know, I mean, what happened to all of me? I, I thought you were supposed to do everything. And then, of course, you know, King Saul, instead of blaming, you know, himself, he blames others. If you read throughout the beginning of the, uh, was it chapter 14? He does the same thing in chapter 14. He blames the people. It's all the people's fault, you know, and right here he's doing the same thing. You know, that's regular human nature. You know, Adam and Eve did the same thing. You know, uh, Adam blamed Eve and Eve believed the de uh, blamed the devil. So that, that nature, that human nature, we always got to blame somebody else other than blaming ourselves, you know, or, you know, or, or, you know, we were the wrong, we were the fault. Instead of that, we blame others for our failures. And that's what King Zal's doing. He's blaming others instead of like being humble and saying right in the beginning of King Saul, look, I sinned, I did wrong, you know, I listened, you know, I listened to the people, I should not listen to the people, I should have listened to God, but no, he says, it's the people's fault, they did that, you know, it's, it's always easy to pass the buck, always, and, and you know, excuse me, because we don't want to deal with ourselves, we don't want to deal with the heart, you know, we don't want to deal with our own sin nature, we rather just blame it on others. Kind of like politics, you know, you ever notice if you watch politics, how one says, you know, it's their fault. And then the other side, it's their fault because they don't want to pass the bill. It's pass the buck to everybody. Nobody wants to man up 
and say, you know, maybe it's our fault, you know. You'd be strange if you hear a politician say, it's my fault, or he really means it. you shocked because they're passing the buck. So that's what King Saul is doing. He's just being a regular politician. You know, he's passing the buck to everybody else instead of dealing with his own heart, instead of dealing with what he needed to do. And one thing I want to talk about, we're going to get back to, I feel is really important. Remember when King Saul was supposed to wipe everybody out? You know, because of King Saul did not do what he was supposed to do, it caused Israel some problems later. I'm going to give you a good example. Uh, when David was running away, later on, if you read, go through the book of Samuel, David is running away from King Saul because he's fretful. He, he's scared David's going to take his kingdom. So he, he takes refuge in the city of uh, Eglag. Was it Eglag? Ziglag. And the Melekites came and they attacked and they took all David's women and children, him and his men. They took their women and children and they had to go rescue their families from these Melekites. So they didn't have to deal with that situation if King Saul was supposed to do his duty. And another thing years later that we have to remember, remember the book of Esther? I taught about it not too long ago. Remember Haman? He was a Melekite. And you know what? If King Saul would, you know, Israel almost came totally destroyed. Judah and Benjamin was the only tribe. Because that one man, he did not do his job because Haman was a Melekite. And one of the reasons why they believed that he wanted to destroy Israel, because he wanted revenge as well. He remembered, hey, they tried to kill my family. They tried to murder my family. So years later, Israel almost got totally destroyed in the Persian Empire because of one man's revenge and glory to be worshipped and, and so on. But because of revenge and because of what this man did to his people, he was angry. So he almost destroyed the whole nation of Israel. And because King Saul didn't do what he was supposed to do, you know, it actually took a generation of his own people from the tribe of Benjamin to finish off what his tribe, what he should have done. But his own tribe later on had to finish what he was doing because he did not do the job that he was supposed to do. So that's a good a lesson for us. We think sometimes when we make decisions, we think it's just going to hurt me. Well, not realizing and 90% of the time we don't think like that, that it's going to hurt others. It's going to hurt our families or it's going to hurt other people around us. We don't never have that thing of like, okay, if I make this wrong decision, it's just going to be all on me. Half of the time it's not. 90% of the time it will affect other people. The way you act or the decisions you make, you will impact other people. So because King Saul didn't do what he's supposed to, supposed to do, years later almost destroyed his whole people because he did not do his job. So because he wasn't thinking at that time, you know, while the decisions, the bad decisions I'm going to make today, it's not going to affect nobody. I bet you he never had that in his mind that years later, one way or another, the, this group of people were going to hurt his people because he didn't do his job. So that's a good example of that we should do our job 100% like God wants you, wants you to do and don't leave anything lacking because one way or another, it'll come back to bite you. You know, it'll come back to, to harm you and your family or harm elders around you. Now, King Saul, I mean, uh, King Saul, like I said, he's, he's doing the Christian thing. He's like, hey, and he thought, this is what he thought. He thought because he added a little moral to it or he had a little Christian to it, it was, it was all right. Because listen to him real good. He really thought like, oh, I did half what God told me to do. Or you can tell he was, he was oh, because I added a little goodness. I added a little good into the mix. You know, God, God's going to overlook the bad I've done and just look at the little good I've done. 
You know, a lot of people is like that because when it comes to religion or it comes to a lot of things, politics, a lot of things, some people think because my religion or my politics just has a little good in it, the rest, the bad, is okay. And no, it don't make it okay because it's still wrong no matter if you put a little moral into it or a little God or a little Christian lingo into it. It don't mean it makes it right because you mix a little good in it sometimes. So you do got to be careful. And that's what King Saul was doing. He was thinking, oh, I did a few little things okay. You know, God's going to be happy. Samuel and God's going to be happy with me. They're gonna, he's going to look over the rest I've done because I added a little moral into it or a little God. And that's what Samuel got mad. And Samuel was like, in other words, in regular language, you would say, shut up. You know, let me talk. You know, in other words, that's what Samuel was telling to Saul. And then Saul, I mean, I'm sorry, Samuel brought Saul back to what he was. Because, you know, a lot of times you have to bring people back to who they are. Their heads get swollen with pride and power. They get way up in the clouds. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You, you get up in the clouds and you don't remember who you are. You don't remember came from exactly so God is allowing Samuel to remind Saul where he came from he says Saul other words I'm translating in our English today like Saul you know you remember back in the day when you was you were humble remember the back in the day when we first met how you had a different spirit yeah you were not the superest spiritual person on the planet but you were still humble you were still someone that I can talk to and God can deal with and talk to and work with. You were workable at that time. You were somebody that, you, you know, you, anybody can talk to you and you didn't think, you know, you didn't think you were better than everybody else. You were down to their level. You, even God can, was and down to your level, can talk to you and, and give you orders and everything. He said, but now, you know, you, you're so prideful now. You're so, your head is so much in the clouds now that God, I can't even work with you no more. You know, God can't even work with you. Nobody can work with you. You know, you're so full of pride and it's all about you and, and, and about yourself that you're down. Now, nobody can work with you now. So I remember back in the day when you were like that. So Samuel is trying to remind King Saul where he come from, trying to bring him back to his humble state. But of course, and then instead of him doing that, he still... He still makes excuses, you know, yes, I sinned, he admitted, I have sinned, and, you know, he tries to say, I try to do the will of the people, he said, I, I try, I saved all this because of a sacrifice, you know, he tried, he thought, like he said, he think he had a little churchianity to it, or a little moral to it, he thought he was okay. It's kind of like a lot of people today, you know, when he said, and he said, well, I brought all these sheep to sacrifice to God, and, you know, God didn't want him to bring sacrifices, God did not tell him, hey, go out there, kill everything and take the spoils and bring a sacrifice to me. God told him, I want you to kill everything. And so he thought, if I just did a little worship service or I did a little, you know, worship little ceremony, it would be all right. And God's like, I didn't want those, those, those sacrifices. So I didn't want those sheep to be sacrificed to me. He said, well, obedience is better than sacrifice. So a lot of times with us, we do that. You know, as modern Christianity, we come to church you know, we do our little religious duty, you know, we sing, we, we sing the little hymns or whatever, we do our little thing, and we go out there and that's it. You know, we'll be like, Lord, I sacrificed, I got up this morning for Pete's sake, I got up, I got up at 8, 9 o'clock this morning, I, I could have stayed in bed in my pajamas, but hey, I'm here, and, and there's no heart into it. Like King Saul, his heart was not into obeying God, his heart was not in to do the right thing. He was just there, like a lot of people, he was just filling up 
a, a, a chair. He was just there just being religious. And God's like, God don't want us to be like that. God, I was reading something on Facebook the other day, and it's right. That they had a guy said he had, they had a church that was full. The pews, the pews were full. And the guy said it on there. He says, because you go to church, it don't mean you're a Christian. <laughs> I mean, there's a means of people there. Their, their churches are full. They, they got a full church. They got a full house. It's just a religious ceremony. They're doing like King Saul. They're not obeying God. They're, I mean, arriving to get out the church door, I mean, they're, they're doing all kind of stuff they're not supposed to do. And, you know, God, God didn't want that for King Saul. God wanted him, you know, you obey me. I want your whole heart into this thing. I don't want you to be religious, King Saul. I want you, you know, I want you to put your whole heart into it in spirit and in truth. And he did not do that. He just played a religious game of God. Or at the same time, he was using religion you know, to benefit himself. And God don't want that. God wants your whole heart into something. You know, God just don't want you to sit here and, 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 and sit a, a pew, you know, or just fill up a, a chair. He wants your heart to be in it. You know, when you leave here, you got to take church with you. A lot of people, when they come to church, they leave church here. You know, and you're supposed to bring church with you when you get outside on your work, you know, on, on, when you go shopping or whatever you do, you just can't just like, okay, I have Jesus on me. I'm wearing Jesus like a coat. Then when you get home, you hang him and, you know, hang him in a closet until next Sunday, you know, or, or you know, you don't do that. You know, you bring, you wear Christ or you act like Christ wherever you go. So that's what King Saul was doing. He was, he put on God when he wanted him and he played church and then he put him off to the side. And God got really angry and Samuel got really angry. So, but he's still trying to make excuses. You know, if you read, he's like the people and, ah, oh, yes, I have sinned. He admitted, I have sinned. And he says, come in front of the soldiers, you know, you, you know so we can show that we're in unity. Uh, other words, propaganda, you know, like regular politicians and people do. You know, let's just look good, you know. And, and you know, and Sam, he was all about him. And God's trying to warn him and he's still, he's so full of himself that God is trying to warn him and he still don't, he's still not listening, you know. He still want to do his own thing. And there's something that God, through Samuel, said to him. He says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And he said, stubbornness is as idolatry. So God was putting it, God was trying to warn, you know, Saul, you know, because you think you're not an idolater or you think because you're not involved in witchcraft. It don't mean that you're not, you, your sin is as almost bad as witchcraft. And then, yeah. And some of us, we think that we think, oh, because, well, I'm not, I don't drink or I don't do drugs or I'm not bad like, like what they're doing. But sometimes you have sin in your heart that can be as mostly bad or equally as bad as them. So you got to, before you judge people, you got to make sure that, you know, because King Saul thought, well, I'm not in witchcraft, not at a time, but he's like, I'm not in witchcraft or I'm not, idol I'm not an idolater's worshiper. Yeah, but he was worshiping himself. He was setting an idol to himself, and he was doing his own thing. So, yes, he was part of idolatry. Yeah, he was part of witchcraft in some form in a way. Or, or the, her sin was as bad as that. So, as the story goes, then, you know, as Samuel walking away, because Samuel said, your kingdom's going to be taken away from you because you did not listen. This was God's last chance to him. He said, you did not listen. You did not do the job that I told you to do. The kingdom's going to be taken away from you. And the Bible said he grabbed... Saw, uh, he grabbed Samuel's garment and he tore it. And he says, because just like you tore this garment from me, your kingdom's going to be taken away from you and given to a man who's going to follow me with his whole heart, that's going to obey me, and that's going to do way more better than you did. 
So, but it, they did a little sacrifice and that was it. Now, if you read through the scriptures, if you read the rest of the book of uh, Samuel, there's no, that I know of, there's no evidence that after this, King Saul and Samuel ever met. Nope, there's no evidence at all. After this, it's like, they, it's like they never spoke to each other again. It's like they never, you know. So he not only ruined his relationship with God, he also ruined his relationship with Samuel. Good friend, a, a, a good a person who could have guided him well if he would have listened. He was an older man if he would have listened to him. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he threw it all away, you know, because of his pride and because of himself. He was selfish and it was all about him. And it was all about me, me, me that he lost God and he lost his best friend because it was all about him. You know, if you, read, if you watch documentaries on, you know, uh, dictators, you know, you notice that <laughs> the, the crowds around them got smaller, smaller, and smaller because they, they, they were prideful. They, 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 were, they thought about themselves. They, nobody can threaten them. Nobody can tell them what to do. The crowd just got smaller and smaller. I was hearing, uh, was it Marx, uh, the one who started communism, Karl Marx. Did you know he only had eight people that attended his funeral? Only eight people. When you have prideful people, I don't know if you've been around people like that, but people who are prideful, they think about themselves and the whole world revolves around them. You don't have too much friends or too much people working for you or too much friends because your center is all about you. So King Saul is a good example. If you look in the Bible, you know, he's one of those individuals you can look to as a model, not in a good way, but in a bad way. You can look and say, look, that's what I don't want to be like. Because there are some people in the Bible, some people, some groups of men in the Bible or women, you can look and say, hey, I want to be like them, you know, because of their character and because they love God and they did great things for God and faith. Then you look at some characters in the Bible, you're like, that's kind of a warning that for us not to be. You know, I was watching, because uh, I write, you know, I write stories and stuff. I heard one guy say this one time, he's right. He said, when you're writing a story, a story should be like a, a mirror showing yourself. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible's like a mirror. It shows you, that's why a lot of people and Christians don't like to read it, because it's like a mirror. It shows you yourself. Like James said about the law. He's like the Ten Commandments and the law. He says the law was there as a mirror to show you your nasty side. It was there to show you you know, the, the sin, the ugliness of your, you know, your evil side, your bad side. And same thing with the Bible does sometimes. The Bible uses, it's like a mirror, and he uses characters to kind of show you of yourself. Show you, well, I, or I don't want to be like that person, or I don't want to become like that individual. So King Saul is one of those people that you look to him, and you're like, well, I don't want to be like King Saul. He had a tra- If you read the rest of the book of Samuel, he, get, he gets killed, you know, when we go through our Bible study, we're going to talk about when he gets killed by the Philistines. He has a horrible ending, King Saul. He goes, after this, he goes down, he goes deep, he goes worse and worse. He's like someone that's digging a hole. The more you dig, the more you go down, the more you can't get out. You know, he was digging himself so much in a deep hole where in the end, you know, that's just his beginning, you know, what he, he his downside. But only if he would have listened, you know. It's kind of like us. Only sometimes, you know, if you only listen, sometimes we cause our own problems, let's be honest. Sometimes we want to blame the devil and other people like King Saul. But sometimes we, do all, we make our own problems sometimes. But you know what? If you ask God to forgive you and you're willing to repent, say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did in the past. I was stupid. You know, God will forgive you, you know, and you can, you can have a fresh new start. Don't, don't like King Saul who 
he continued and continued where in the end where he, he, he destroyed himself because of his pride and because, you know, he was kind of like old Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible when Nebuchadnezzar got up that top of that, that building, that palace, and he said, this is the wonderful Babylon that I have built. You know, he was worshiping himself until God had to speak to him and he came a mind of an animal until God had to bring him down. So, yeah, yeah. So God won't tolerate pride. God won't take people worshiping themselves, glorifying themselves. We were made to glorify God and bring people to God, not to ourselves. So we have to learn that. So King Saul was that type. He brought everybody to himself. He was the center of attention. He was the worship. You know, he was the one doing everything and not leading God to be the source of his victory. So I hope, I know it's kind of not rough, rough but, but it, it's, a good, it's a good lesson for us that when God tells us to do something, you know, we should do it.